That's good. Um, having an authority is a reality of life, whether we like it or not, whether we choose to listen or not. And as much as we often want to believe that we are our own authority, there really isn't ever a time that that's true. Um, So the question is, that we have to think about, is whose authority are we under? And why is Jesus the one who is worthy of our surrender to his authority? And what does it look like to be with Jesus as we sit under his authority? And that's what I love about these stories. I love that they all, it's a big chunk of of scripture, but they all flow so well with one another. And we're dealing with three different stories here. And what we see in these passages is we see that Jesus' power and authority, it's on display. He has power over nature and creation. He has power over um, sin and evil. He has power over sickness and death. And that's what we see over and over in these stories. And it's his power in each of those stories, that demonstrates his authority. But it's our faith as people that lead us to just to even recognize and surrender to his authority. So I want to unpack each of these stories just a little bit and see what difference they make to us today. And all of these stories probably feel somewhat familiar to us. So I want to trust that God has something new to reveal to us, even if these do feel like really familiar pieces of scripture to us. So first, let's look at the story of Jesus calming the storm. He displays his power and authority over creation and nature in this story. And so what's happening is Jesus and his disciples have boarded a boat after a, uh, you know, a day of being with crowds and teaching and ministering. And soon after, they encounter a storm. And the, the storms in the Sea of Galilee, from what I understand, is you would get Uh, they would just kind of come out of nowhere and it would be sudden and you might start not thinking that there was a storm and then you find yourself in the middle of the sea and there's a terrifying storm happening. Um, It would be sudden and and intense. But what's happening here is Jesus, um, being subject to the limits of his own human body, he goes to sleep on this boat. He spent the day teaching and being out with the crowds. Um, And so they are, his disciples and them, they're in this boat, storm happens, and now they're terrified. And if they had any notion that they had control in their life, it is stripped in this moment. They feel like they are facing their mortality. And while the disciples are struggling, Jesus is sleeping. So we have this contradiction of what's happening here. We have Jesus at rest with the disciples in their restlessness. He's at peace, and they clearly are not. This story, what I love about this story is that it really encapsulates Jesus as God and Jesus as human. And there's three questions that are asked in this passage. So I want to talk through each of them. First, the first question is the disciples go to Jesus and say, do you not care if we drown? Their fear is replaced, uh, replaces their faith. And what we see here happening, this is called, um, it's called cognitive dissonance, okay? Cognitive dissonance, it's this mental discomfort that we have or this tension that humans struggle to hold where they have two conflicting beliefs. Um, So Brene Brown talks about this a lot and she calls dissonance is the place that we go when things aren't what they seem. So for example, they, what's happening here is they believe that he cares They believe that about Jesus, that he cares. You know, they say, don't you care? They believe that he cares. 
And they also believe that their life is in danger and they're about to die. And so it doesn't seem to make sense to them. It seems as if Jesus is indifferent to this. But is he? Of course not. And is this not one of the great struggles of being a follower of Jesus, right? Can we not all relate to this? I believe that you love me, Jesus, but my reality right now is painful and broken, and it's a real mess. So how do I make sense of this? How do these two things go together? But the reason that he's in the boat is because he cares. He cares. That's why he's there. The storm came between them and their assurance of his love and his care. And then they lose sight of his word. Look back at uh, verse 35. Chapter 4, Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. He tells them, let's go to the other side. In the midst of their reality, in this storm, they forget what he actually said to them. And in every storm, there is an opportunity for us as humans to wonder about the identity of Jesus, of who we know him to be. And I just want to challenge us with this when we are sitting with those conflicting beliefs is to just stay curious. Just stay curious. Don't lose sight of his word. It's human to wonder and to doubt and to question, especially in the dark and scary moments. But we have to remember the character of God in those moments. Or at the very least, we have to remain curious about the character of God. Don't let the storm get in between what you know and the assurance of his love. So what happens is they approach Jesus. He gets up. He rebukes the wind. He tells the waves to be still. And then scripture says it was completely calm. It does not take him time. There's no other way to explain it. His power and his authority, they go unquestioned by the storm. But then what Jesus does is there's a second question in this passage, and Jesus is the one who asks it. And he says, why are you so afraid? And isn't it obvious, Jesus? Don't you read that and you think, I mean, come on, like give him a break, you know? We thought we were about to die, but in his questioning, what he's doing is he's getting them to consider their faith. Do you really trust me? Why are you afraid? What are you struggling to believe about me? What are you struggling to believe about Jesus? What are you struggling to believe about his power or his authority? And then finally, there's a third question that the disciples ask. And they ask it among each other. And they say, they were filled with fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's a question, again, that I think we all have to wrestle with and answer for ourselves. Um, it's Tozer who has this quote that we've, many of you all probably heard it before. Where he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
Our faith has the capacity to grow when we wrestle and we do that deep soul work of answering those questions like, why am I afraid? Who is Jesus? Who is he to me? If we're willing to wrestle and ask those questions and stay curious, our faith has the capacity to grow so much. And that's how that story ends, with the disciples terrified and trying to understand what to make of the power and authority that they've just experienced. They aren't pleasantly surprised. It says that they're scared. They're rethinking who they've been with. And instead of answering their question, who is this man, Mark gives us another story. And in this next story, starting in chapter 5, where Jesus heals, it says the, the title in y'all's little books, it says Jesus heals a man with a demon. In this next story, we see that Jesus displays his power and authority over evil. What happens now is they get out of the boat after this experience with the storm, um, and a man with an evil spirit says it com- he comes out from the tombs to meet Jesus. So the disciples are going from like one terrifying experience to another here. And it says that this man was violent towards himself and that he was so strong that he could no longer be contained. And you know, for um, many summers in a row growing up, I went on this mission trip to the same tiny village in the mountains in the middle of Mexico. And um, we, we you know, just had this relationship with this little town. Um, I mean, less than 200 people, just this tiny, really rural, rustic town, uh, village. Um, but in this village, there was a man that whenever I, whenever I read this story in scripture, I think about this man. Um, this village had him locked away in a tiny little shed with bars. And sometimes you could hear him. And a few times I remember walking, he, he, he wasn't you know, kind of in the middle of the town. It was off um, in, in the village. But, you know, every, there were a couple of times where you had to walk past and you could just hear and see. It was just this dark, scary, like, experience. Um, and I don't know if it was mental illness uh, or evil or whatever it was, but honestly, like, that doesn't matter because what, does, what I do know is that that man was in bondage. He was not well. And there was nothing that anybody in the village could do. So I think about that man when I read this story. And what Mark is telling us here in this story is that this man comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees before him. And here is where we get the answer to the disciples' question of who is this man? It's the demon who answers. To the, he answers that question. He cries out with a loud voice. It says in verse 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? It is that man, that possessed in bondage man, that declared his power and authority. And in this moment, Jesus has the power to do what no one else is able to do. He frees the man from the oppression of evil, from the dwelling spirit. And what is so interesting to me about this is that in this moment, you could consider this man an enemy to Jesus, right? This man is filled with demons that hated him, that hated him. And Jesus responds in love by setting this man free in spite 
of his enemy status, Jesus responds in love. And isn't that what Jesus tells us to do? Love your enemies. And he doesn't just say it, but he shows it and he does it. This story is wild because the demons beg Jesus to send them into the pigs that are nearby. And this is important as we talk about authority. In verse 13, it says that he gives them permission. Mark is continuing to emphasize the authority that Jesus has here, including authority over evil. And by his power, Jesus allows them, he allows them to enter the pigs. A herd of 2,000, they run off into a lake and drown. And at first glance, it seems as if Jesus has destroyed the pigs and that he's ruined the livelihood of others. I don't know how many people this would have impacted in this town. Um, But that's how it first reads, I think, is to assume that Jesus did this thing. But it's not Jesus that destroys the pigs. What Jesus does is he rescues the man. And what destroys the pigs is evil. Evil is what destroys them. Um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he, he talks about it this way. He says that what evil does, what evil does is human life and God's good world, evil destroys in the most tragic of ways. Evil is not natural to humans. It is a parasite on what is meant to be good. So it is the evil that destroyed these pigs. Jesus rescued the man. So this story highlights Jesus' purpose here. Jesus' purpose here on this earth. He's here to confront evil. The people in this town, they hear what happened. They see, they see the man in his right mind. And they were afraid. They pleaded instead for Jesus to leave. They would rather have a legion of evil spirits than have the one who has authority over him. They would rather be without Jesus than be with him. And in the story, it's only the rescued man that begs to go with him. And it seems that Jesus is putting this man on a mission because he says, no, but go and tell. Because think about this here, they are not in Jewish territory. There's a bunch of pigs around. So instead of letting this man join him, he sends him on mission. He sends him to a new life to tell others in this non-Jewish area of Jesus, of what has just happened, of his mercy and his grace and his healing and his rescue. Like that's what gets to happen now. And then it ends this story in verse 20 by saying, and everyone marveled. It's so amazing to just see like the intricacies of Jesus and the thoughtfulness and why it was better for this man to stay than to go. And then the last story that we have here, Jesus displays his power and authority over sickness and death. And this account, the last part of chapter five, it weaves together two stories, um, one of a desperate father and one of a desperate woman. And both had faith in Jesus' power to heal. Now, Jairus is an important ruler, and so who, out of desperation, he seeks Jesus to heal his dying daughter. And as Jesus agrees to go with him, 
It says that the crowd follows and presses around him. And that there's a woman among the crowd, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. So this would have made her unceremonially unclean among her society. So not only did she have a problem, but she was a problem. And haven't we all related to that sentiment before? You feel like you're struggling so much with something. You are so needy. You're rightfully so. You're rightfully needy. But you have surely become a burden or a problem to others. But Jesus doesn't see her like that. And he doesn't see us that way either. She reaches out to Jesus. She touches him. And it's so crowded, he doesn't know who touched him, but he knows that someone has been healed. And what I love about this is that he asks his disciples, who touched him? And they don't know. And they're like, there's a ton of people around here. Who knows? But Jesus doesn't just move on. And I love what we get to see about his character in this. Because he seeks out the one who sought him. Lots of people were in proximity to Jesus. But she reaches out in childlike faith. And she makes herself known. So she steps forward and she tells the whole truth. And what Jesus does is he calls her daughter. And he says that her faith heals her. And I don't think, she might not have understood it all, but she was desperate enough to try being with Jesus. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is confirming and encouraging her faith, giving her more than just physical healing. He's also restoring her. And he's letting everyone else know that she's now clean. For 12 years, she's been in the margins, a problem to everyone. And in him stopping and saying that in front of everyone, He's restoring her back into that society. I think that this woman had probably tried everything to heal herself. And this probably felt like a last ditch effort. If only I could just touch him, maybe that'll work. And the story kind of reads a little bit like a combination of faith and superstition. And what Jesus clarifies for her right then is that this is not magic, and he's not a genie. Daughter, you're not healed because you touched me. You're healed because you trusted me. He calls her daughter, giving her belonging and value and worth, releasing her from shame and being on the outside. And he says, go in peace and be free. And that's such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to trust Jesus. Remember, Jesus is actually on his way to heal another daughter, the daughter of Jairus, who is also trying one last thing to rescue her from death. But by the time they get there, they say she's, she's gone. And the house is filled with noise and people are grieving. And Jesus sends them all out. He tells them the girl's not dead. And they respond by laughing. Because they know what they're seeing, but they don't understand who they're seeing. And by his power, Jesus takes the girl's hand 
And scripture says immediately she stood up and walked around. It's incredible. And it ends with saying the people in the room were astonished. And Jesus can do what no one else can do. So in all of these stories, what we're seeing here is that it's the people who approach Jesus. People approach him. That's who he is. He is approachable. And he wants people to approach him. And so some of us in this room, we need to hear this. Your needs are not a barrier. They are a pathway to faith. In fact, Jesus came to save the needy people. And by faith, we can trust him and we can confidently sit under his authority. But the reality of Jesus' authority demands a response from us. And these stories show us a mixed bag of responses. Some were terrified, some were amazed, some were afraid, some laughed. What Mark wants us to know in these stories, he wants us to know who Jesus is. The truth about Jesus isn't just an interesting fact. It is a life-altering reality for us. And Jesus reveals his authority so that we might place our faith in him. His miracles, these stories, what they are, they are a foretaste of the kingdom. When sickness and sin and fear and anxiety and death and evil, they do not exist. Jesus is merciful and he welcomes those who seek him. He's not just an inspiring guy. He is our king. He is the one that is worthy of our trust, our surrender, our submission to his good and perfect authority. The thing is, when we look at these stories, what it tells us is that he knows how we hurt and why we hurt. And he wants to redeem every part of us. It's our pride that rejects his authority. But what Jesus is doing is he's inviting the humble and the needy to come to him and to find rest. Because no human truly thrives apart from surrender to Jesus. He's never too busy for your needs. And we can trust his authority over all of our life. He desires and he's able to heal all of the broken places within you and within me because we matter to him. There is nothing untouchable in any of us. So we can confidently approach him because his authority over us is one that is full of compassion. So this passage starts with the miracle of Jesus calming the storm of revealing his authority that he has over nature, but then it gets personal. And we see that he heals and he rescues three unclean people. Jesus reached out to the unclean without becoming unclean himself. Instead, he cleans the possessed man living among the dead, the long-suffering, bleeding woman, and he personally touches the dead girl, and he gives each one of them new life. So now we get to take communion and get to have this moment in our week to ground us and to remember Remember how Jesus became unclean for us 
how he became human, fully human, how he took on our sin and he took on death so that we would be made clean, so that we aren't these people walking around broken and unclean. And by his power and his authority, he defeats sin and he defeats death so that when we submit to his proven authority, when we do not turn away, that's the way to truly live. So we take, and you dip the bread in the wine or the juice, and let's eat and drink, and let that be a sign of a surrendered life to him. And take and eat. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to remember your power and help us to rest in your love. Lord, your authority is good and it is the only truly right way to live. Lord, help us to stay curious, to approach you, to seek you out, because you have already sought us out, Lord. We love you, God. We ask these things in your name. Amen.